So we're going to go ahead and continue in with our, our message and our series we've been going through. Um, we've been going through a series called Tough as Nails. Uh, it's been a series that I've enjoyed. I hope you have enjoyed it as well. We've been taking an attribute of Jesus and, and applying it to our lives. We've kind of looked at, we're, we're going to look at Jesus's life and some of the things he did because I believe Jesus was extremely tough. He handled things that quite honestly are, are unbelievably difficult and he was able to make it through. And the thing is, and we've kind of talked about this and I kind of want to start every message in this series with this concept in this idea because you know what we're all going to be facing hard times we're all going to go through difficult seasons of life and Jesus did too Jesus's life as you look at it was was full of hard moments and hard times he was betrayed by his friend he he felt alone at times he he dealt with people that he loved dying I mean he went through hard things like we go through hard things but Jesus was able to conquer those things through some of the attributes that we're going to be talking about. But the thing is, I want us to all to understand this. No matter how we face the things that we face, no matter what we go through, it's real simple. I know that no matter how hard it gets, if you have Jesus, you're tough enough. If you have Jesus, you can get through whatever life throws at you. Jesus promised us. He said, you're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through moments of your life and seasons that are difficult. And unfortunately, what we tend to do is we sometimes try to do those things and handle those things on our own. And when we do those things, usually things don't go the way we should really hope that they would go. But when we use Jesus, when we, when we place him in the center of our lives, then we can accomplish and get through those seasons that are hard and get through those things. So over the series, we've been looking at several different types of attributes that Jesus displayed that we can learn from. But before we jump into the meat of the message, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. God, we do thank you that you are the perfect father. You, you are a good dad. And so, Father, it would be silly for us to on this day that we recognize our earthly fathers and our earthly, the earthly guys that you've placed in our life to, to not stop and honor you. Because no matter how great or poor or present or absent our earthly father is, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You love us with an everlasting love. And we honor you this morning. Father, I pray that you would help me as I share these things to do it in a way that you would use, that my words would cease and yours would begin. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the course of this series, we've been looking at the kind of that phrase that when the going, the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's, that's the, the phrase we usually hear and usually use to, to kind of bring out each attribute. That's what we're, we're looking at. So the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is this. When the going gets tough, the tough learn to wait. The tough learn to wait. Now, I understand that that doesn't necessarily seem extremely tough. That doesn't seem like, like to me, toughness is like we see the issue, we see the problem, we attack the problem, we go and we find a solution. I don't know if you're like this, I'm like this. Like I see a problem and I want to fix it. You know, like my wife will come to me and she'll, she'll want to share something with me and I get into trouble sometimes because I want to fix the problem. She doesn't want me to fix the problem. She wants me to listen to the problem and smile and then put my arms around her and say, honey, it's going to be good. I love you. God's got this. But no, no, no. What I tend to do is, well, honey, let me tell you what to do here. Let me tell you what to fix here. Let me tell you. 
And that sometimes, let me be honest, that gets me into some trouble sometimes. But that's what I like to do. I like to identify a problem and try to go and fix the problem. Now, I'm good at that in certain ways and horrible at it in others. For example, there's things on my house that I look at and I go, that is a problem. That needs to be fixed. And then I go, let's go see if I can figure out something else to do with my time. Okay? Other guys, they're good. They can say, look, that, you know, that squeaks or that, that needs to be fixed. And then they go and they fix it. So depending on who you are and what your talents are, depends on kind of how you handle this. But most of us are that way. We see an issue, we want to fix it. The problem with that sometimes is God hasn't called us to fix it. God's called us to wait. Let me ask you a question because you talk about, you know, like waiting and, and, and wanting to fix things. Which is tougher for you? Doing something about it or waiting? If you're like me, it's waiting. It's hard to wait. It's hard to do that. But here's what's interesting. Do you know that Jesus waited a lot? There are times in Jesus' life where Jesus had to wait. Let's look at those together this morning. Let's look at first in Luke 3. In Luke 3, verse number 23, this is the first part of that verse. This is what it says. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Now, I'm sure some of you have read that before. Maybe you were in Bible quiz growing up. You knew Jesus basically began his ministry when he was about 30 years old. But let's stop and let's think about that for a second. Let's... let's, let's Jesus had to wait 30 years before he could start to do the public ministry that he was called to do. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus is walking around. He's seeing, and listen, we, we, we could talk about his childhood, which we know very little about, or even his teenage years, but even, even into his 20s and early 20s and mid-20s. Jesus is walking around, and what is Jesus seeing? Jesus is seeing hurting people. He's seeing sick people. He's seeing people that are going through difficult times. He's seeing individuals that are, are spiritually bankrupt. He's seeing all those things. And what does Jesus do? Nothing. Not that's recorded. Now, I'm not saying Jesus just didn't do anything. I'm sure Jesus loved on them and cared for them and, and was there for them. I'm sure Jesus was there at people's funerals and comforted those uh, that were left behind. I'm sure Jesus did all of those things because that's who Jesus is. That's his heart. But his public ministry, he had to wait 30 years. He had to wait. He had to wait until the time was right to accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish. Let's move on. Look at Matthew 4. So now Jesus, is fi it's finally time. It's, the time has come for him to begin his ministry. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1 through 2, this is what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. So now we think the time has finally arrived. All right, here we go. We're going to make a difference. We're going to do all these great things for God. And God says, listen, go out into the wilderness and wait for another 40 days. You know when you think about prayer and fasting? You know sometimes what that is? It's just simply waiting on God. It's waiting on God to do something amazing in your life. Sometimes there needs to be this waiting. So now Jesus is going, okay, I'm 30 years old. I'm ready to start ministering. I'm ready to start healing. I'm ready to start doing what God's called me to do. And the Spirit leads him in the wilderness for another 40 days. So he's waiting again. Jesus' life has a lot of waiting in it. 
Which is interesting because if you're like me, my life has a lot of waiting in it too. Jesus understands what it is to wait. And you've got to remember, he's got to be chomping at the bit here. Like, I know he knows what's coming, but he's got to be ready. He's, he's ready to go out and make a difference in people's lives. But he's still having to wait. One more example in Acts 1. In Acts 1, we kind of see the, the end of all of this situation, which is kind of cool. And Jesus has died. He's resurrected, and basically that's where we find ourselves in Acts 1, chapter 4, or verse 4. And this is what it says. So after he's been risen and all those things, during the 40 days, another 40 days, after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, isn't that a great story? I, I, and here's the thing. Right after this, just to give you some context, the Bible says that basically Jesus goes and he is, ascends into heaven. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this because I didn't think about this until I was putting this together, kind of looking at Jesus' life and kind of what he did. I want you to think about what just happened here. Jesus has died now. He's resurrected from the dead. Okay? And all these things, he is still on this rock. Where do you think Jesus really wants to be? Do you really think Jesus is like, oh, sweet, back to Jerusalem, back to Galilee, back to the dusty roads, back to the bad food. Back. Where do you think Jesus wants to be? Where do we want to be? We want to be with our Father. We want to be in heaven. We want to be with those people that, that maybe we have lost. We don't want to necessarily be here all that much. I mean, yeah, we're going to be here as long as God wants us to be, but, but our home isn't here. Our home's with our Father. Jesus wants to be home. But where is he? Another 40 days before he can go home. Another 40 days before he's taken. So he has to wait again. Now, am I saying that Jesus was unhappy about that? No, 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 no. I think Jesus used that time. We know he used that time. He prepares his disciples for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He teaches many things. He shows many things. So he didn't waste the time at all. But you got to believe he was sitting there going, he was counting down the days. You know what I mean? You know, it's getting close now. We're, we're, we're almost, this is weird. You should know me by now to know this. We're, we're almost to halfway part of the year, which means that we can begin to really focus in on Christmas. Okay? And so that means the countdown begins. You start to cut down the days. i got to believe Jesus over those 40 days was like sitting there going, one more down, one more down. I'm going to go back to move my father. I'm going to go back. So he had to wait even then. This may age me a little bit, I, you know, but I, I, when you go to a restaurant now, um, there's something different on your table that wasn't there, or it was there, but it was in a different form when I was a kid, and even in high school and in even college, probably. And I know it's different now, because now sometimes you go to a restaurant and there's nothing on the table, you know? But normally, when you go to Chili's or Applebee's or a place kind of like that, you, you look, and what's on the table? You got your sugar packets, you got your salt and pepper, and typically you have some type of condiment that's there. Normally, if it's anything, it's ketchup. Now, when I was a kid, the ketchup came in a slightly different form. Do you remember how it used to come? It came in a glass bottle. Remember those? Remember the glass bottle, Heinz ketchup bottles that were there? And you used to take off the cap. Now what's there? Now we got the squeeze bottles. 
Now we got this, why do we have the squeeze bottles? I'll tell you why, it's easy. For two reasons. One, you can get that ketchup out very quickly with a squeeze bottle. And two, I don't know if you've ever had this happen before because it was hard to get the ketchup out of the glass bottle. And typically if you hit it too hard, your ketchup, instead of basically being on a little area to, you know, to dip your fries in, now you have ketchup fry soup is what the situation has become. You remember that? You remember having to sit there? I remember there used to be this, this trick to get the ketchup out of the ketchup bottle when it was full, and it was a, there was a 57 imprinted on the, on the glass, and if you held the bottle at a certain angle and you hit that 57, the ketchup would come out. You, I could see some smiles. I could, like I, you guys are going, okay, I, I know what you're talking about. And you try to get that ketchup out. I remember that. I remember they made an entire advertising campaign about it. I remember there was a commercial with a kid who basically opened up a bottle of Kind's ketchup and he set it on a building and he just set it there and then he ran all the way down the stairs with a, with a hot dog, I believe, to come down and then as he's running, the ketchup is slowly coming and it's slowly coming and it's slowly coming and he goes out there and of course there's a girl he wants to impress and then he takes the hot dog and just at the right moment he goes, Whoop! And the ketchup goes right on the hot dog. And the question I always had is, why does the ketchup stop exactly where it needs to stop? Like, I'm going, there it goes, and it's just dumping out at that point. And then there was the tagline. Do you remember the tagline? Good things come to those who wait. You know, we live in a society today where we have a desire for everything in our life, spiritually speaking, earthly speaking, everything, to come like a squeeze bottle. We want to be able to grab it. We expect that we could look at God and say, okay, God, I'm ready. Get those blessings, get those miracles, get those things you want to pour in my life and squeeze it all out. But what I found is usually God works like the Heinz glass ketchup bottle. And what's interesting about it is this. We can see the ketchup. You can see the blessings. You can see the miracles, but they're still in that bottle. So you can see it. You know God wants to do it. You know God has a desire to do it. But it's that process of waiting and waiting that can get so difficult. But it shows some major things in our lives if we're able to do it. So here's the thing. If Jesus could wait, we can wait. If Jesus was willing to look at his situation and go, no, 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 I'm not going to allow my life to be a squeeze bottle type of existence. I'm going to let God in his timing and in his way and in his plan pour out those things in his time and in his moment. If we can, if God can do that, if Jesus can do that, we can too. Remember what scripture says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, lives in us you. But here's the thing, as we continue on with our notes, what happens when we don't learn to wait? You see, the scripture is great in so many ways. One way is we get to know what we should do. Other stories tell us the opposite, and that is one of these stories. We're going to open up and look in Genesis 25. In Genesis 25, just before, we see the birth of two twins, actually, Esau and Jacob, they're Isaac's sons. Isaac, of course, is the son of Abraham. And so he and his wife, they, they have these two boys, and they begin to grow up. And basically, that's kind of where we're going to pick up the story with Genesis 25, starting with verse number 27. It says this, As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. 
He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see here already this, this tension in this family. We already see this situation that's going on. So let's now continue on with verse number 29 in our story. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Other translations will say, sell me or trade me for a stew your birthright. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you have or haven't. It's fine either way. I've heard this story before, and, and here's the thing. Do you know what a birthright really is? Like a lot of us go, oh, well, I think I understand. I, I think I get the concept, but let's look at it a little bit deeper. Let's answer this question. What is a birthright? Why did Jacob want it so bad? What was so important about this concept or this idea? It's in your notes because I wanted you to get it. This is what it is. The son of the birthright received a double portion of the inheritance, and that's a big deal, okay? A double portion of the inheritance, and also became the head of the family and the spiritual leader upon the passing of the father. Okay, so let's understand here what this is. So Jacob, what is he wanting? What is he desiring? What is he wanting to trade his brother or trick his brother into giving him? First of all, it's inheritance. It's, it's, it's possessions. It's things. It wasn't that Jacob, as the second son, wouldn't get things. He just wouldn't have got as much as Esau. The firstborn would get double. But plus that, when the father eventually passes away, whoever the son of the birthright was he would receive, he would be the spiritual head of his family. He would be the leader of his family. And basically everybody else would follow him and follow his leadership. So Jacob wants this very badly. He wants to be able to get it. And he's in this process of scheming his brother to get it. But let's continue on now. Let's look at Genesis 25, picking up the story again with verse number 32. This is what Esau says. Look, I'm dying of starvation. Esau said, what good is my birthright to me now? Now let's stop here for a second because let's really look at what's happening here. What is Jacob or what is Esau really communicating? Where's his heart? What's going on? We just heard that he was hungry. He was out hunting and he's hungry. Now, do we really believe for a second, okay, that Esau is starving to the point of death? No, there's no way. You have seen, unfortunately, and we probably all have, we understand what it, someone looks like, what they're experiencing when they're starving to death. What's Esau missing here? What's Esau doing here? Where's Esau's mind and Esau's heart? Esau wants a squeezed bottle situation in his life right now. I'm hungry. I'm starving. I'm going to die. Oh, woe is me. What good is something that's going to come later if I'm dead today? Now, again, we know he's over-exaggerating. We know he's missing the point. But in the same way, he looks at it that way. Now let's continue on with our verses. Jacob said to him, First you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother 
Jacob. So in this situation, this is big. This is huge. This is not just some family that we hear about in the Bible. This is Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. You see, this is in your notes. In this family, the birthright determined who would inherit the covenant God made with Abraham, the covenant of the land, a nation, and even eventually the Messiah. This is a big deal. And he trades it away for a pot of stew. Why? Why? It's really simple why. Because Esau had to have it now. He had to have it in this moment. You see, God had better things for him, but he traded it away for what he had to have in this moment. Listen, I'm not trying to belittle your pain. I'm not trying to say your, your situation isn't hard. It is hard. It is difficult. But listen, listen, sometimes in the middle of that, even though we want to fix it, even though we want to grab the squeeze bottle and grab God's hands and start to squeeze, we need to wait for God's timing and God's moment. Because if we don't, will sell away something amazing for a pot of stew. The Bible is amazingly full of men and women who walk down paths that I believe God did not intend for them to walk down and dealt with issues that God did not desire for them to deal with for the simple reason because they weren't willing to wait. They made it happen. And listen, sometimes when we make things happen, bad things happen. Esau couldn't see it. Listen, this is in your notes. Please get this in your heart. Don't trade the best God has for you later for something temporary now. Listen, listen to this story, folks. We do not say Abraham, Isaac, and Esau because of a pot of soup. He gave it away. And we sit there, and let's be honest. We, oh, Esau. Oh, shame, 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 shame. But listen, can, can we just be open and honest? I'll, I'll, forget it, I'll be open and honest. How many times have I done that in my own life? How many times have I forced things when God says, listen, just wait. I have so many great things. I have so many awesome plans. I'm going to take all those puzzle pieces and I'm going to put them all together. But my timing is perfect. And quite honestly, listen, hear me here. Yours and mine is not. And that's hard. It's hard to understand. It's hard to let go. But listen, listen, here's the thing. Esau ate the stew, and guess what happened in about, oh, let's, let's be generous. Let's give him eight hours. What happened? He was hungry again. He was hungry again. But the blessing of the birthright, the blessing of the land, the blessing of the covenant, the blessing of the line of the Messiah coming through has gone on and on and on and on. Listen, let me make this real simple. Guess who lives in Israel today? The majority of those people, they're not the descendants of Esau, but they are the descendants of Jacob. 
Sometimes we forget how much God has for us, how great it is, and we sell it away for the things of this world that will not last, that will not fulfill. But sometimes it's, we have to be willing to wait for them. Number three, let's put some application. Let's, 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 let's learn to wait on the Lord. How do we do this? How do we, how do we learn to wait on the Lord? Let's, let's look at a scripture that many of us have heard in Isaiah 40 that I think gives us some really good uh, some really good insight into this. So Isaiah 40, starting with verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. A lot of us don't really follow that verse in our lives, okay? And here's what I mean by that. We, we tend to read that or want it to read something like that. Those who are actively doing something right now or forcing something to happen or making something happen or saying, God, I don't care about your time, I care about my time, those individuals will mount up with wings like eagles. Their strength will be renewed. Listen, can I just be honest? In my life, the times where I have been exhausted most, most physically, most spiritually, and most emotionally are the times where I say basically, no, I'm going to make this happen now. God, I don't care what your timing is. God, I don't care what you want to do in my life. I want it now. I want to grab my squeeze bottle of ketchup and start squeezing it all out. And I get exhausted and I get tired. But this idea of waiting on God that renews your strength. If you're tired this morning, if you're wore out this morning, the answer sometimes isn't doing more, it's sometimes doing less and stepping back and allowing God to do in you what he desires to do in you. You ever had a situation where you've talked to somebody? and you want to have a serious heart-to-heart -heart conversation, and you sit down with them and say, hey, we really need to talk. And, and it doesn't need to be negative. It could be positive. It doesn't really matter. But, but you can just tell they're just not there. You know, it's like you're listening, and you're talking, and you're like, you're wanting to share, and, and they're just, uh-huh. And, and you can just tell their mind's going like this because they're not really physically present or mentally present. Sometimes we do that spiritually. God wants to grab us, hold us close and say, listen, just wait with me for a while. Just calm yourself for a while. Just take a moment to breathe for a while. But we're just, no, 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 God. I got to make this happen and I got to do this and I got to take care of this and I got to do this. And listen, this isn't a message, and I'll explain this in a minute. This isn't a message that says we don't do anything. The idea of waiting here, we're going to look at, is not this concept of, of basically doing nothing. But it is a concept of understanding that we are not to force what God has not ordained or God has not said the time is right yet. Remember, you can see the ketchup in the bottle. You just have to know that when it's time to pour, God will pour. You don't need to grab the squeeze and start to squeeze. You don't need to take it and start to shake it. Let God do that on his own. So what does this mean? What can we learn from this? This is important. Let's look at these together. There's three I want to talk about. Number one, we should wait on the Lord, not passively, but actively. 
Now, you might go, Aaron, that just, just contradicted what you just said. No, not really. Let me explain. Okay? The word wait here in the original Hebrew is not this concept. Okay? I'm going to give you a visual. It's not this concept. Okay? When we think of waiting, that's what we think of, don't we? We think of this concept of waiting. When we were put on hold, what do we do? We are waiting. When we go to the, we go to the doctor, where do we go before we go see the doctor? We go to the waiting room. This is not the concept that what we're seeing here in Isaiah. We are seeing, the best way I can describe it is this. When you go to a restaurant, maybe tonight or this afternoon for Father's Day or whatever, depending on the restaurant you go to, you go in and you sit down and who greets you? A wait tour or a waitress. That concept works a lot better. What we're seeing here is not the concept of waiting by doing nothing, but being serving and actively involved in what God has asked you to do. A lot of times we go, God, I want this, and I want to do this, and I want to see this in my life, and so I'm going to sit here and wait for you to do it. That's not what Scripture is telling us. Scripture is saying, do and be busy with the things I have asked you to do, but not with the things I've asked you to wait upon. Does that make sense? So if you're sitting there going, oh God, I'm waiting for this moment or waiting for that moment, but you're not busy about the work of the kingdom, you're missing it. What we have to learn is how to say yes to the things of God and no to the things that are not necessarily what God has asked us to do in this moment. But waiting here is not just sitting there twiddling our thumbs, folks. We all probably are waiting for something. I know I am, but God hasn't called you or me to sit and go, okay, well, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. Instead of waiting like that, let's be that servant. Let's be that server. Let's be that individual that cares about people that God places in our lives. Let's actively wait, not passively wait. Number two, we should wait on the Lord with hope and trust. Hope and trust. Other translations of this word if you look at it, whether it be um, the NIV or the L, uh, NLT or all those, it doesn't usually say wait anymore. It says usually hope or trust because that's the other understanding of that word. So in this concept, listen, we need to not just be waiting on God with, with, with going, oh, well, maybe God. No, listen, God's going to do it. God's going to do what he promised you. God's going to do what he said he would do for you and for me. But we need to understand that it may not happen in the time that we want it to happen in. Let me tell you a quick story. Some of you have heard it, some of you haven't. My wife and I dated for about nine months. And it was the, oh, you would just, oh, let me just be completely honest with you. It was some of the most wonderful nine months and the most horrible nine months of my life. We fought, we argued, it just, we, we, we broke up. And I was devastated. I was like, God, why? I'll, I'm never going to get married. What's wrong with me? All the things that, that people go through. And I'm hurting one day. And I'm in my room and I'm just crying out to God. And I'm just going, God, I don't understand. And God spoke to me in the most clear way he has ever spoken to me before. It wasn't audible, but it was in my heart like I never experienced it before. And he said this, you're going to be together, but you have to be patient. What was God saying? you got to wait. And in that moment, I just, there was a peace 
that passes all understanding. And you know what? I would love to tell you the next day the phone rang, but it didn't. Almost a year passed. And not just a year passed, but, but things that happened that seemed like the door was being closed. And I just held on to it and said, no, I don't understand how. I don't understand when. I'm not going to force this to happen. I'm just going to let it be. But God, you've made me a promise. God, I believe in your promises. God, I believe you have somebody for me. I believe it's her. I believe this is what. And guess what? Long story short, about a year later, I get a text message. You got to trust. You got to hope. You got to know that you do have a good father. Hear me here. Who keeps his promises to you and to me. So while you're waiting, while you're waiting, do it with hope and trust. And this one kind of goes right along with it. Number three, we should wait on the Lord with eager expectation. Listen, I want to encourage you this morning. Listen, God has awesome things for you. God has great things for you. But here's the thing. Here's the thing how it works. Sometimes, even though we want it, even though we want it now, God says, no, it's not the right time. And let me help you with something here. If it's not the right time, there is a very, 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 let me say it one more time, very good reason for it. Going back to me and Emily, right person, really wrong time. And if we had forced it, if we had said, nope, don't care, God, I'll be flat honest with you. I don't think we'd be married today. You go, oh, but you're a pastor, so what? We, listen, she can speak for herself. I'll speak for me. I need to grow up. I was an immature little guy. I had to wait. I had to grow. But listen, when we wait, Let's wait with an expectation of something great. Listen, you don't get excited about your birthday or kids aren't excited about their birthday or Christmas because they're going, oh, goody, it's a day. They get excited. Why? Because they have an excited, eager expectation. They're ready. They count it down. Listen, why? Why, why is my son excited about his birthday that's coming up? You know why? Because he trusts and hopes in his parents, and he has an eager expectation of something great coming that day. And we, and we are not great parents. We're not perfect parents. But our Father is. If you as earthly parents, listen, can give gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father do it? Listen, some of you, can, can I just be honest? And, and I need to do this too better. But some of us are waiting, and we're waiting like this. Really, God? Come on. Is this, is this working? Really? Tap our foot. When we really honestly need to be waiting like this, oh boy, God, I don't know when you're going to do it, but when you do it, oh, it's going to be good. Can't wait. I don't know when it's coming, but I know it's coming. I don't know how it's coming, but I know it will, and it'll be better than anything I dreamed of and hoped of because my God is big enough to do it. 
Sometimes we miss those moments. We're too worried about the when instead of focusing on the who is going to bring it about. I found this as I was studying. As the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. And I just loved this. I just thought it, it just encapsulated this so well. And it's in your notes. The ESV Study Bible explains that when we wait for the Lord, we are savoring God's promise by faith until the time of fulfillment. We are savoring God's promise by faith until the time of fulfillment. Let me tell you a weird story about me as we close. One of my favorite foods in all the world is, is when I go back to Kansas City and I get some barbecue. I love me some barbecue. And, I, and we don't get to go back too terribly often, but we try to get back a little once a year, a little bit more sometimes. And, and when we do, we got to go to my barbecue restaurant, my favorite. And we'll go in, and man, you get in there, and you just smell how good it is. And I'll begin to think about it way before we're actually in the car driving to Kansas City. I'll go, okay, we got to plan the day. When are we going to go to it? When are we going to get my barbecue? And we'll get it and we'll bring it to the table and I'll just start to eat and just, oh, it's just so good. To me, it's just so good. And I do it every time because I'm a weirdo. But that last bite, I don't, I don't do this. I, I, I don't go. I grab it. Make sure there's just the perfect amount of sauce-beef ratio it in my mouth and I take my time. What am I doing? I'm savoring it. Is that silly? Yes, it is, but it's so good, you know, and I'm savoring it. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering that flavor and that taste and the smokiness and the sweetness of the sauce and all those things. Listen, hear me here. I know that so many of us are in a time of waiting right now and it's hard. We want it to happen now. We live in a society that it almost seems like everything's instantaneous. We don't want to wait for our ketchup to come out. We just, done. We want it now. And it's hard to wait. But I believe that God, listen, doesn't just want us to be people that await on him. He wants us to savor him in the waiting. You say, Aaron, I know what it is to wait. I know what it is to have patience. I get that. Let me ask you one step further. Because God challenged me about this. Aaron, do you savor me in the waiting? Because the answer is probably no. The answer is I, I get mad at God in the waiting. I get impatient in the patient process of the waiting. Where I believe that God wants us to savor him in those moments. To savor the waiting and that journey that God's brought us on. Father, we come to you right now. And God, I know and I believe that there are individuals in this room that are in the process of waiting. They want things, they, they want things that I believe are completely and totally what you want for them. These are not, they're not sitting there waiting for things that are not of you. 
They're not waiting for things that will bring them destruction. No, they're waiting, God, on things that I believe you have for them. And it's so hard sometimes to wait. It's so hard to wait. We want to we go and we want to do and we want to make it happen. But God, we can't trade. We can't trade your best for something now. We'll regret it if we do. We'll miss out on the fullness of what you have for us if we do. So God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray over every individual that's here that God, that you would help us all who if we are in that situation or we are going to be, we will all go through this at some point in our lives. Multiple, 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 multiple times. But if we are right now in this, God, I pray that you would give us that strength as we wait on you. The strength comes in the waiting process. The more we wait, it's like the stronger we become because of you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us. That's the first individuals and groups. And, Father, for, for everybody, I also just pray that not only that we would be waiters, not only that we'd be strengthened, but that, Father, we would be a people that would savor, that we would savor the waiting. That we would, I'm not saying that we didn't necessarily enjoy it, but that in those moments we would savor you. We would put our focus on you. We wouldn't focus on what we think needs to happen. We would focus on the God who is the only one who can make it happen. Help us, God. Help us, Father. You're so good. You're so good. Here's what we're going to do as we close. First of all, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And I'm going to kind of kind of let you know what I, I just feel like God's leading me to, to do this right now. I'm going to turn the, the service over to John and the worship team, and he's going to basically do a chorus or so. And I'm going to come on down front, over here to, to my left, your right. And if you need some prayer, if you're going through a, a season of waiting, and you just need somebody to agree with you, I want to do that, Okay. As John kind of goes through a, a chorus or so, if, if I'm praying with somebody not back, he's going he's gonna to pray over you. He's going to dismiss you. We, we have some, some gifts for all our guys, not our dads, all our guys. With some great looking little, little gals and little guys and gals to hand them out. So make sure you get one before we go, before you go. But I just want to be able to be open to pray with you, okay? So I'm going to turn the service over to him. I'm going to go down front. And if you would like somebody to agree with you, I'll be down front, okay? Before I do, Father, we love you and we just thank you. Father, for those that need prayer, I pray that you give them the boldness to come as we agree together for this moment and this time. We love you. In Jesus' name, I'll turn it over to John and the worship team. Thank you, God.
God, thank you for letting us and, and God, showing us that, God, that you are always keeping your promises. God, that you're going to do what you always said that you're going to do. God, that we're not just wandering around lost and hoping you find us. God, that you have a plan. God, you have a purpose and you got it all under control. So, God, we thank you. God, we just pray that you be with us throughout the week, God, that you would just dwell in our hearts, God, that we would take you from here to work, to home, wherever we got to go. God, that this would be what we carry with us daily is you. So, God, we love you. We thank you. God, we just uh, praise your name this morning. We love you in your name. Amen. Amen. Well. Thanks for coming this morning to church, guys. Um, like you said, there's the gifts uh, uh, hanging out outside for you out here for all the men. Happy Father's Day to everybody. And um, please come back next week. Uh, also, just my shameless plug, um, we usually have like five or six people here on Wednesdays for prayer. I would love to see y'all show up for prayer if you can make it. It's a special time. It's a special time of us just interceding and going after him and, and praying for our community. So if you have the time, I ask you make that time and come and join us on Wednesday, all right? Other than that, guys, have a good day. We'll see you next week, all right?